Are you listening to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine on Apple Podcasts? Well, if you are, please make sure that you leave us a review. Now, of course, we would love five stars, but if anything, we want to hear how you are enjoying the show. Now back to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, I truly do appreciate it. And um, I mean, I would say if you're locked and loaded, ready to go, we could jump right on in. Let's jump in. Awesome. So welcome all to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine podcast. You know, this is season four, and I must say I'm truly thankful um, for all the support uh, and also our listeners Last month, we were able to hit 80K listeners across all streaming platforms. So we are definitely growing and getting bigger day by day. And it's because we have people that are so outstanding and amazing that are sharing their stories. So truly, thank you all. On today's show, we have Aaron Walton. You know, when I talk about icons, when I talk about legends, walking legends, and giving people their flowers, this is one of the industry leaders that I definitely wanted to have on the show. Aaron is a recognized as a trailblazer and thought leader. Aaron has focused on innovation as well as cultural engagement, has transformed traditional marketing and advertising strategies. As the CEO and co-founder of Walton Isaacson, a full-service advertising agency. He has done so much within the industry, such as founding a partnership with famed NBA superstar and legend Magic Johnson, as we know it. Aaron has worked with several different brands, such as Lexus, McDonald's, J.P. Morgan, Chase, and so many, and has been just awarded with so many different awards that we're later on going to dive into during this podcast. You know, one of the things that I truly do admire about Aaron is that regardless of where he's at or even the different things that he's always doing, he keeps mentorship uh, really, really top of mind. And even from the outside looking in is someone that has been a mentor to me just existing, the different moves that he's making and has always been there to lend um, just a helpful uh, thought and or hand when it comes to really making sure that the industry is moving forward. So Aaron, my friend, welcome to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. How are you doing? I am doing great. And after that introduction, how could you not do great? That's awesome. By the way, congratulations, 80,000 listeners. That is incredible. Yeah. Really, really, really good. Because that's, that's, you know, it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of interviews, I'm sure. But uh, you should be really proud. That's That's pretty awesome. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate it. Um, you know, we're hitting our 50th or we just hit our 50th episode um, with this season. So we've been moving through it. Um, That's great. Yeah, That's I have to say. It's amazing. So is there anything in your bio that I missed that you would love for the people at home to know? The only thing that they did not talk about in that bio was that I'm a voracious, for, you know, I absolutely 100% am a dog person. I have two <laughs> amazing dogs. Um, I am obsessed with my dogs. Uh, they, you know, it's really funny over the, the pandemic. I, I Prior to the pandemic, I was on the road probably 75, 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. 
And then obviously the pandemic kind of shut everything down. And it was really amazing to see um, how the dogs reacted you know what I mean? <laughs> and how close they got. I'm like, what are you doing here? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> here. So, so yes, I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm always suspect of anyone who's not a dog person. I will give them a little bit of leeway, but eventually you have to come on to be one. So that that's a, probably the biggest thing that's not in my bio. Oh my goodness, listen, I love it. And let me tell you something else. I love dogs because dogs will always tell you the truth, no matter where you're at, how you're interacting with them. It's like, if a dog comes near a person and they look up at you, it's like, okay, let me, keep, let me keep it moving or I can interact with that person. So, I mean, tell me about it. Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing great, actually. You know, it's really, it's been a busy, busy time. Mm -hmm. um, for the agency and it's, it's, uh, been an interesting time in, in as much as we've had a shift, how we think about working and how we are working. And mm -hmm. so that's been really, um, fascinating. Um, I am excited about kind of my friends and the accomplishments that they're, they're making, um, and they're doing some really amazing, amazing things on their own, which I think is just, you know, you kind of live vicariously through your friends sometimes. So it's it's great to see, you know, everyone succeeding. But I'm doing good. I, I am uh, just back from Japan. So that was incredible. I love being um, in Japan, Tokyo specifically. And and that kind of fueled my soul a little bit, just being being there and, and being out again. And it feels like there's a bit of normalcy starting to happen where we're getting back into the groove of traveling and being able to see people. And so so I'm in a really good, good space right now. I love it. You know, um, one of the things that um, I think through your bio and anybody that follows you on social media, it's hard to miss just your love and your passion and also your involvement in the fashion industry. Um, yeah. And with that being said, I mean, I would love to really know how have you managed to balance, I think, being able to ultimately have your hands in fashion while still, you know, maintaining um, your business and being able to continue to thrive? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, the, and the reason I was in Tokyo was to walk in a show for the designer Renshu, whom um, wow. I think that's probably the last well, count. I think or, that was eight, 19 or 20. I, I can't remember how many, show, how many shows I've done. And he was doing mostly in Paris prior to the to the pandemic. But, um, you know, I don't look at, at it as an either or. For me, mm. fashion is about storytelling, right? It's about a reflection of who you want to be. Mm. It's a part of the storytelling that we do when we're creating commercials or when we're doing, you know, content. And so that it's not like I look at it as a separate thing. I look at it as part of what we, who I am and what we do at the agency and, and kind of how I move through life. Mm -hmm. And I, I love it. And it's, it's fun to do something or to be involved or jump in um, to something that you absolutely love. I will tell you, it's, it, it's interesting because with Renshu, the way that whole thing um, kind of came up, our uh, publicity department was like, we need to get some new headshots of you. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, oh, here we go again. And, you know, if you look at a lot of corporate headshots, including my old ones, they were very, they were like 
almost sophisticated versions of your high school yearbook. And I was like, well, <laughs> not who I really am, but you kind of fall into that trap. And so I was negotiating with my own staff. I was like, okay, I'll do it, but we've got to do it something a little bit different. They're like, they were just happy to, to get some new shots. And they said, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, let me talk to my friend, Cal Yee. And Cal Yee is a fashion photographer. He's wow. um, shot for Vogue Om. He's just done a lot of amazing things. He's doing actually some, uh, he's a real artist. He's actually doing a lot of jewelry right now. But so I, I was out with Cal and I said, look, I know this is way below your pay grade. You're used to working with, you know, real models, but would you do my headshot? It's absolutely not a problem. Oh, nice. And, and I, I said, great. And, and he said, well, what are you thinking of? And I was like, you know, I was reading this article on Will I Am. Mm. Uh, he was doing something with this designer Renshu, and I wanted to find this suit that Renshu had, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And Cal looks at me like, are you kidding me? I said, no. He goes, I shoot for Renshu. Wow. I, said, yeah, I had no idea. I said, well, do me a favor, see if you can get the suit. And sure enough, Renshu sends him the suit, take the picture. He sends the image back to, um, to Renshu, and Renshu saw it and said, oh, I like your friend's look very much. Would he be interested in walking in my show uh, in Paris for Men's Fashion Week? And I was like, is he just asked a gay black man if he wants to go to Paris and walk in a fashion show? <laughs> the answer is yes, absolutely. And then it dawned on me like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how 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 this is going to work. And so I got Cal to give me some some tips. By the way, it was never on my, uh, being in a fashion show was never on my bucket list. I mean, I was always involved in love fashion, but um, I did it once and, and loved it. And I loved it for a, no, a number of reasons. One, I, again, I love the storytelling, mm -hmm. the production and how he, you know, rolled out his collection. But I also loved the fact that I wasn't responsible. I mean, I was responsible for telling a part of the story and basically and what I was wearing, but I was in charge of the production. I wasn't in charge yeah. of the music. Yeah. And so it was nice just being present. It allowed you to exist and be and, aware. Yeah. And be aware and watch other people and, and learn from what they were doing. It was it was fascinating for me. So so that's how that's how I got into it. I love that. And also even like what you said, because I kind of feel like sometimes even as just industry executives and or even professionals, sometimes we can get in this mindset to where it's really one dimensional. It's like, yeah. this is who I am and this is all that I can be. But it's you're really paving the way and just allowing all of us, myself included, to know that you can absolutely pursue and do more things, you know, um, that you desire to do and be good at them. So thank you for trailblazing in that way. Oh, thank you. Foundation, sure. that's, that's so kind of you to say. I, I will tell you that, you know, there's a moment where the switch kind of goes off or it did for mm -hmm. me, for everybody, where you just stop wanting to code switch. You just stop want, wanting to be something that you're really not. And when you lean into that authenticity, when you decide that this is who I am, not everyone's going to like it, that's yeah. okay. But I've got to like myself. I've got to love myself. I've got to be comfortable with being present in a way that makes me feel real. And so when I did that, things just started to change. <laughs> yeah, you just like you're breathing. You just go, <sighs> you just exhale and you're like, okay, I, yeah. I, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. And so that's, 
that that made a huge difference and i'm glad that you're doing it and and look at your success and what happens oh. when you breathe right so Thank you. I appreciate that, Aaron. Well, look, let's take a trip back down memory lane. One of my favorite songs, by the way. I mean, you can't back down memory lane, you know, it's a classic there. Um, walk us through the beginning of starting your agency and co-founding co it. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. Most people don't realize this was the second agency that I actually started. Wow. No, and so, okay. My my career actually started uh, at Pepsi. Yep. And I loved it. Oh my God, it was such an amazing time. It was a time in the soft drink industry that was referred to as the Cola Wars. Pepsi and Coke were battling it out. And and I'd always, always knew I wanted to be in the advertising uh, industry. Mm -hmm. And I just, at the time, you know, I graduated from Babson. This is 1983. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know how I was going to get into the advertising business, but I knew that I needed a solid background in marketing and communication. And, and quite frankly, I started as a data analyst, which I absolutely loved. Uh -huh. It was fascinating because uh, it's another form of telling stories. Right. And so I ended up uh, leaving Pepsi uh, I had an amazing career there. I worked on the Mountain Dew business. I worked on the Pepsi business. I did all of the big tours, Michael Jackson, Tina Turner, David Bowie, uh, Gloria Estefan, and Miami Sound Machine. That's how long. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And, I then, I, I, and then I did a lot of the pop culture kind of initiatives that they were doing uh, at the time, working with Ray Charles, working with Marlon Brando, all of these, these incredible kind of life experiences now that I look back at it. And what my job kind of evolved into was really kind of connecting Pepsi within the entertainment industry and the music side, particularly in the, in the pop culture side. And then I left and I said, you know, I want to be able to do this um, on my own. You know, Babson was a very entrepreneurial school. That's what, you know, you did, though that's what you wanted to do if you went to Babson. And so I had that bug kind of implanted in me, I think. And so I wanted to go off on my own. Pepsi was really great. They came with me as my first client. Wow. I continue to work with them. And then I worked with a lot of the other companies, Frito-Lay, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell. And then I decided I wanted to get outside of just um, the PepsiCo family. I wanted to try some new things. And, and the first big project I ever did outside of that family was um, with AT&T. Okay. Whitney Houston in, a, in an ad with AT&T, you know. Oh my goodness. The voice. The voice. I mean, and, and by the way, the campaign was called True Voice. And so oh, it was so right. great to get the the most amazing voice uh, connected with their technology. Anyways, my job in that agency at that time was really um, about connecting celebrities with brands or helping brands find kind of a musical um, voice for themselves. And I wasn't actually doing the work. I mean, I, I would... You know, I bring Britney Spears to Pepsi, but I didn't get to produce the ads. I wasn't working. I mean, I got involved with it, but I wasn't mm -hmm. really kind of getting my hands dirty. And that's yeah. what I, that was the next step that I really wanted to do. And so um, I sold that company and then decided, you know what? I really want, this is what I want to do. And now's the time for me to do it. And so I had um, worked on a business plan with uh, with a uh, partner, the Isaacson of the of the 
Walton Isaacson, and he's, he's now not in the agency anymore, but I had worked on this business plan and the title of the business plan was Creating the Planet's Most Interesting Agency. I love that. And, and the focus of it was, you know, if we're going to create this interesting agency, it is going to be done by making sure that we have a diverse group of people working with us. And diverse wasn't just about ethnicity, it was also about gender, it was about um, sexual orientation, it was about, you know, uh, just everything. I mean, it wasn't just one thing. It was about experience. I wanted to be surrounded by people who were in the advertising industry and some people who weren't because when great innovation comes mm-hmm. when these two different types of worlds kind of collide and that's where you get that kind of uh, innovation and that's what I really believed clients wanted to to have and for me making sure that we had diverse cultures coming together would also help clients understand that you got to take the blinders off the world is changing um, and if we're going to connect with these future consumers yeah um, well they weren't just future they were consumers but they were going to be the majority uh, then we had to learn about them you had to spend the resources uh, you know to 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 connect with them and so that's what we did and we just built this company up um started 20 years ago i can't believe it's gone so fast it's just really flies um and we've got some really amazing clients that really believe in our mission there's there's a great um two great business books that i love one is by simon sinek it's called it starts with why and and he talks about successful companies are able to articulate to their team members not what it is they do but why they do it and mm-hmm. to the heart of who they are and the, with their culture and and our clients, I think, also understand that as well. And I think that's why we've been so successful at growing those businesses and, and winning new business. And the other great book is um, by a guy named um, Shane Snow, and it, it's called Dream Teams. And I and I love reading I love reading those kind of business books because it makes you kind of step outside of yourself and think differently and and understand how other people have worked, what's worked well and what's not worked so well. Yeah, and it's worked really well for us. We have some incredible clients, Lexus, McDonald's, as you mentioned, we just won the American Airlines business. Um, Congratulations. And, yeah, it's great. You know, that that particular business, it's, it's really great too, because uh, prior to winning the business, I, I was a consumer of their brand. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm a concierge key member with them, which is, you know, the one of the highest status levels with them, just based on how much I'm flying. And, and so I love the brand. I've always flown with them. So it's really lovely to be able to work on a brand that you love. Yeah. And, um, you know, we just announced a partnership or NBC just announced a partnership with us uh, and State Farm on a, a program called Open Doors, which I love. You know, NBC was um, really concerned about helping small businesses Mm-hmm. and providing the resources to small businesses, particularly those that were impacted by the pandemic. And it's been hard mm-hmm. for some of the smaller businesses to, you know, get their footing again. I mean, bigger companies have a lot of resources. And mm-hmm. so NBCU wanted to open 
their doors to help these companies. So we're developing all the content uh, for them on that. And it's been great. It's, which it's which been is a... so impactful because, you know, I think people forget we're still in the pandemic, you know? So all those early initiatives that some have kind of fallen by the wayside, unfortunately, yeah. it's great to know that, you know, there are brands, yeah. your agency realizing that that should still be top of mind. It, it really is. And, and, um, you know, it's it's interesting. And State Farm was a was a partner in helping to bring this to life too. And and I love when companies start to kind of reach back or reach forward in some cases to to help um, help everyone. And and you're right, we're still we're still reeling from the pandemic. We're we're not 100 there. Yeah, we can go outside now and mm-hmm. and um, start to kind of reconnect. But there's still a lot of folks that are in need of support and and I love, you know, whatever we can do to support them, I, I'm, I'm all game. Yeah, beautiful. You know, you mentioned just now reaching back and I mean, it's just, as you talk about the amazing clients that, you know, that you work with and that you continue to work with today, it's so hard to just not even talk about some of the amazing individuals that have worked for your agency. Um, do you realize the lies of you that you have impacted? Just throughout the years, whether individuals are still working for you or even now when, you know, I think about some of the top creatives, whether they're at New York Times or at Google, and it's like everyone has a through line of, you know, what you have, the the value that you have added to their careers. I mean, do you kind of ever take a step back and just view that? Um, uh, Well, thank you for saying that, because that's really, really important for me. Um, I benefited from having mentors that um, really helped guide my career, had helped open doors for me in ways that I couldn't probably have done it myself. And and I do feel an obligation to do that for people. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, being of service, it's, it's so important. It, it, does fill your soul. It makes you feel great. I think some of the, one, some, one time someone asked me like, what was the greatest you know, thing that you ever worked on. And I said, you know, there was one day I was sitting in a meeting and I was watching one of the staff members who was, you know, coming into his own and you saw that light go off. Mm. Like it just happened. Like in you were there, you were present, you saw it. I thought that's really cool to see how you've been able to guide someone and help their career. And, you know, we've been lucky. We've, you know, as you mentioned, we've got some, you know, my name may be in the door, but it's a wide door with a lot of people yeah. who, who um, make things happen. And I think that's probably the greatest asset that I have is are, are people who believe in our why, are people who are absolutely passionate about the business that we do, about the culture that we're developing, about making sure that culture is represented uh, in the industry that we're in. And they they've been great. There have been some people that come that have left and then come back. We call them boomerangs. Yeah. yeah. I think that I think that's cool because sometimes you gotta go out and you gotta, you know, we benefited from them leaving, learning something new, and then coming back and bringing that that knowledge with them. So it's been great. And we're growing. We're, if you're looking for a job, make sure you go to our website, <laughs> go to LinkedIn. We, we got a lot of open uh, positions. You might have opened up the floodgates there. Listen, you do it, do it, do it. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, 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 we're lucky that we've got some, 
some great team members. And everyone here feels that obligation to, to support one another and to help each other grow because we know when one grows, we all grow. So, yeah. Okay. I love it. You know, um, the name of this show is called A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. Now, what some people may not know is that that is a little bit, that is a little literal because those are the two things that keep me going, Aaron. <laughs> but I know you're someone that truly also believes in inspiration. And as you talk about your agency, that your agency culture, I think is something that has been so impactful. Um, yeah. So listeners, something that Aaron's agency does, and I'm not sure if you still do this, but I know I personally loved it, is your lobby inspiration. Oh. <laughs> and so what I would like to do right now now is yeah. share four with you that I would love for you to decode them a little bit. So no pressure. I am oh putting Aaron on oh the spot. Are, are these are these um, lobby signs that we put up? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's all from you. And like I said, no, no pressure at all. Okay. But there's so many, and I love it because, like, when you walk in, these are kind of the inspirational quotes uh, yeah. from your agency. So it's pretty cool. The first one is, "You become what you believe." Oh, absolutely. You know, um, and that gets back to the authenticity that I talked about. Mm -hmm. It gets back to the representation that, you know, we've done a lot of work about with AIM, which is the multicultural arm of the ANA, where it's really important to make sure that you are seen, mm -hmm. see images of ourselves represented in the work that we do, and the work that our industry does, and not just the advertising industry, it's the entertainment industry. And so I really do believe that once you kind of start to see yourself and start to accept who you are, you can become that. There's there's nothing that's gonna stop you. So um, yeah, I like that one. I forgot about that one. Oh yeah, no, you all have them all. I mean, I used to go to your Instagram feed all the time <laughs> and it was absolutely beautiful. Now I've seen Netflix do a very similar thing. Are, they, out of are they copping our stuff? Aaron, I don't want to go on record for it, but I'm saying things. Uh, <laughs> We're all inspired. Listen, all I don't care. You know what? Inspiration can come from anywhere. There you go. It helps. There you it go. Helps you. It helps you. And, and I'll be honest, I, you know, occasionally... Um, I will throw some down in, in there, but everyone like contributes to them. And it's always great to see uh, to see what, what's going to go up there. Absolutely. Because I can imagine, I mean, whether you're going in the office, but if you're waking up first thing at 7 a.m., you want to see something like that. Mm -hmm. So I have two more. Here's my oh, next one. Struggles develop strengths. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Let me tell you something. I've learned more from my failures than I've ever had from my successes the mm. trick is not to live in the in the failures and I don't even think of them as failures I just think of them as an opportunity to learn something at our agency which is something we've learned from the Toyota client actually um, it's a the Kaizen philosophy which is the philosophy of constantly improving and constantly learning and and making things better and so you sometimes learn from those moments of struggle and and you bring that forward in a way that not only helps you but helps helps other people and every time we do a project after the project is done whether it's like we knocked out of the, the park with something with black panther and lexus or or it was a small project we have a kaizen session where we sit and we kind of evaluate what we did right what we could do better and, and mm -hmm. it's all for the purpose of of helping one another and helping the client. So I, I 
strongly believe in that. I love it. So listen, people at home, what Aaron just said, when you fail, fail a little harder, but get up and learn from what keep on stepping. This one is fun. Uh, Let your light shine. Yeah. I mean, I think so many times in our lives, particularly during the pandemic, but so many times in our lives, we we're, we're so like, just moving, 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 moving. Just stop for a second and say, you know what? I don't have to move as fast all the time. Sometimes it's just about breathing, exhaling, taking a moment, letting other people see that light. It's in all of us. We just have to kind of peel away those, the onion that kind of sometimes keeps it trapped inside. And when you do, my God, it's, it's it's so life fulfilling and it's so kind of um, inspiring, not just for you but for other people, and and it brings you joy in ways that sometimes you f- you forget that um, we need because we just you know head down, running as fast as we can, yeah. And, and sometimes you really do have to slow it down and take it in. I love it. Well, listen, you all have heard it here first. Lobby inspiration decoded. And trust me, we could have been here all day because let me tell you, they do not miss a beat. There's about a hundred plus, I'm sure, that exists, but those are some of the ones that definitely stood out. You remind me I gotta get back on reposting those because um, you know, during the p- pandemic, honestly, I got a little lax on it, but uh, I'll start putting them back up. Oh, look at that. The pressure, the pressure of a legend. Aaron, you're good. Uh, <laughs> and you know I say legend and I use these terms icon but it's it's also not being used you know loosely I mean you are not new to this in terms of everything that you have built and also how ahead of the game you have been um you know there's so many terminologies within our industry Aaron that I kind of feel are constantly either evolving or changing from mm-hmm. multicultural marketing to inclusive marketing to belonging um how should we approach community building um, and reaching new audiences in 2023? Listen, I, I, everyone approaches it a little bit differently, right? For us, uh, it has been foundational to everything that we have always done and always believed for a lot of our industry. Quite frankly, um, they have minimized or marginalized um some of these groups and and have not accepted the fact that each of these groups, these different cultures have a different way of walking through life. Yeah, It's so critical for brands, if they want to succeed, to start to embrace that and to get comfortable with the collisions, get comfortable with those moments of, of colliding because it's, it's, um, it's the only way to make those kind of breakthroughs and to make sure that we are all participating equally. It's not just about now, you know, D and I, it's D E and I, right? It's making sure that these different cultures, these consumers, these employees who don't look like you have an equal chance to succeed and have the same resources that they need to succeed. Because if you don't, you do a disservice to your company, you do a disservice to the consumer, and you do a disservice to to the staff. And so, for me, it's it's always been about 
embracing those cultural nuances and celebrating them and not looking at them as a um, as a roadblock, but looking at them as an opportunity to learn something new. Like, you know, in our industry, the people who succeed are the people who are genuinely curious and genuinely want to learn something new. And there's so much to be learned from different cultures. It's like we could spend you know, the rest of our lives and never learn everything. And for me, I'm really curious. I'm I'm fascinated with what makes people tick, what what makes people laugh, what makes people cry, what like what inspires them. And and it's not a one size fits all anymore. Yeah. And that idea of of that is different. I think you have to be really careful because there are some companies that don't have permission to be in that space because they don't believe it and they haven't lived it and they haven't done the due diligence and the homework to be there. And if you do it the wrong way, mm -hmm. it backfire and it has backfired for some people. So that that was a long answer. I'm not sure I actually answered it, but I, I think we'll answer it. Okay, good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're calling this season um, the quad shot season. And I know anytime that I order a quad shot, I know that my day is going to be long and it's going to be on 10. <laughs> if there are four shots of anything that you feel like the industry needs right now, one word, what is it? No hard thinking, but if there's four things that you could leave our listeners with. Uh, how about if I give you, I'll give you four thoughts and then I'll we can it. figure out what the word is, right? I'll take it. There we go. I'll okay. take it. So the first, uh, you know, I've always been inspired by Bayard Rustin mm -hmm. and his um, idea of the power of being an angelic troublemaker. Um, I think that's transformed how I saw my role as a change agent, right? Um, from a commit committed, you know, idea to authenticity, to passion for innovation, to realize that the status quo had to go. Yeah. And angelic troublemaking or or stirring up good trouble as as the late John Lewis called John it. Lewis. Yeah. Is my responsibility. So I guess in that one box you'd put angelic troublemaking. Okay. Um the other thing that I would say is I love the power of colliding from the way the kaleidoscope works to unexpected kind of intersections that bring two ideas together, which is innovation. You know, colliding is required if you're going to create and kind of break away from the status quo. So I say, just go for it and trust in that. Uh, the So I guess it was in that bucket, it'd be the courage to collide. Yep, yep. Um, the next thing I would say is that your perspective is just that. It's your perspective. So you got to see the world through someone else's eyes, live in another person's shoes, and you'll open yourself up to new possibilities. And quite frankly, it will go above and beyond where you actually thought it could be. I think it's about being a service, which we talked about a little bit earlier, <clears throat> um, without ego or without expectations. And it's guaranteed to make your heart expand. Yeah. And I think to make your world expand. So for me, that is about empathy. It's about listening. Um, so that's probably in the the other bucket. And, and empathy doesn't necessarily mean you're just 
kind of putting yourself in their shoes. It's also about understanding kind of their world without feeling like it's about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, I guess the last thing, if you're not kind to yourself, you mm -hmm. know, compassion, you can't flip a switch and be kind to others if you're not kind to yourself. Authenticity starts with self-acceptance, which starts with compassion. They're all really connected. So I would say be kind to yourself and give yourself the grace to be authentic and be who you are. Um, that would be my last bucket. Oh, I love I, it. I yes. Home quad, sorry. There we go <laughs> for the quad shot. You know, um, I'm sure that, you know, you've seen the, the headlines and it recently happened, but Shirley Ralph recently accepted the Emmy for Best Supporting um, Actress. And um, she also presented you with the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2016 at the second annual Truth Awards. And, you know, during her speech, she had a part of the quote that said, uh, this is what striving looks like. Don't ever, ever give up on you. And, um, I certainly want to leave that with you and also want to thank you, Aaron, so much for not giving up on us because you have truly been a light to not only myself, but so many people in the industry. So I really do appreciate you. Oh, thank you for that. I mean, it, that's so generous of you to say. And and Shirley Ralph deserved that moment more than anyone I've ever known. She is such a star and talk about someone who's committed her resources and been selfless in her efforts to help people you know with hiv and aids and and um and she's done it every year for the last 30 years so she she deserves that and i, and I take that i accept that thank you very much for that that was very 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 nice absolutely all of you well listen this is the end of no it's over it's over my god <laughs> I went too fast. Uh, I know, I know. We'll need a part two, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll definitely need our part two. But, um, you know, for our listeners listening at home, though, where can they uh, follow you and or keep up with you? Um, I'm sure that, you know, there are so many different places, but what's the best way for them to stay in contact with you and your journey? Listen, um, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn, certainly. Um, I'm on Instagram. You can find me there. You can go to our website if you really want to see um, some of the great work that the team does. Uh, it's waltonisaacson.com, and, and we also have our own uh, Instagram page. So we're out there. Just uh, link in and, and check us out and, and uh, let us know what you think, because we're really, really proud of the work, and we're proud of the representation that we have not just in front of the camera, but also behind the camera. And, and that makes a big difference. I love it. Aaron, my friend, thank you so much for joining us on A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. And thank you all the listeners for tuning in. Please stay safe and remember that you deserve a dose of black joy and caffeine. Until next time, take care. Read between, between those lines. You're like, a do get me right. <laughs> we will. We will. Beautiful headshot. Okay. We have the visuals to go with this. Um, and I recorded with Aaron the other day. That was a blessing. And he's just always such a joy. So he sends his love for sure. Okay. I'm feeling yeah. it. And when you talk to him, send mine back.
I will. I will. Well, let's dive into it. Hello, all, and welcome to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. I am truly excited um, with this being our fourth season, and we've spoken to over 60 industry professionals um, across advertising and marketing, and at that, Black industry professionals, whether that's C-suite executives, legends, icons, as well as our rising stars. On today's show, we're chatting with the one and only Renetta McCann, who is 100% an icon and legend in this industry. She's currently the Chief Inclusion Experience Officer at the Publicist Group. However, she has been recognized as one of the leading innovators and most influential executives in the advertising, marketing, and media industry with a global reputation of really building brands, but also organizations and leadership to sustain them. And, you know, something else to just note, even through sustaining uh, brands, she's also has sustained so many different relationships from so many people that just admire her across the industry and mentees that now continue to thrive because of early development from Renetta McCann. With that being said, along the way, she has been an active volunteer for several different organizations, which we'll later on get to, but she is no stranger to the publicist family. She began her early career at Leo Burnett, and after a long tenure, she became the CEO of Starcom Media Vest Company, excuse me, group worldwide. Under her, under her leadership, she had a client billing exceeding $26 billion and a global workforce that was pretty big as well. And we're talking about over 6,000 people. Nearly After nearly 30 years of community management and leadership, what does she do? As if she is not just a wealth of knowledge and knows so many different things, well, she went back to school and she hit the books again, which we're later on gonna talk about. But currently she lives in Chicago with her husband, Kevin, and also her children. Renetta McCann, welcome to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. Oh, Adu and Kendra, I am so happy to be here with you. This is giving me just the perfect ending to my week this week. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I mean, not only having you, but this is our season finale episode. I mean, you're closing us out here. Oh my goodness, I get to rap. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, with that being said, we had to save the best for last. So far this season, we have interviewed over 20 plus guests. And so thank you so much for um, ending this season with us. We really do appreciate it. You're welcome. And I bet you saved the shortest for last, but we can discuss that later. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And with that being said, yes, you mentioned Kendra. Kendra, thank you so much as well for joining us this season as our co-host. And for the listeners that are just tuning in and or waited to listen to this episode specifically, which I'm sure they did being our season finale, tell our listeners at home a little bit about yourself. Hello, my name is Kendra Croft. I am an associate creative director. I am a, I feel like my career is a child of the DEI and the work that was done in this industry. So I am more than honored and excited to be virtually sitting across from our guest today, Ms. Renetta McCann. And I can't wait to dive into this conversation. This has been so much fun to do as this is our season finale. Thank you so much for having me. I have enjoyed every second of it. So let's get to it. 
Absolutely. Let's get to it. I mean, you know, I read your bio, but I, I have to know just in full transparency and, you know, just being honest, do you, do you feel and know what you mean to like us? That's a good question. Oh, wow. Because um, if not, I want to figure out the way, best way to express it too, because right, you yeah. mean a lot in terms of the steps that you've made and everything that you have done. Yeah, so I'm going to parse here a little bit. There are times when I'm in places or spaces with what I'll call my community, you know, maybe hanging out in an ad color and at an industry event in New York and, and I'll, I'll get to talk to people I haven't seen and whatever. In that moment, I'll have this visceral feeling that there's a meaningful connection or something about our, you know, the relationship um, that was, you know, powerful or helpful or something like that. But in terms of do I know absolutely no, and you may find this a little bit strange. I'm not sure I want to know that absolutely because there's the magic of these encounters and the relationship <laughs> I have and, and yeah. just sort of that, that spirit and that flow and the hugs and the whatever. Um, so I think so is my okay. <laughs> short answer. And my longer answer is I'm, I'm not sure I want it to get too real because then it won't be as magical. All right. Yeah, we'll take that. Well, I'm telling you, it is it is magical. And like I said, it's it's always six degrees of separation, whether we're talking about the coffee or Mu Godfrey's at the CMO of, uh, you know, DoorDash and him loving on you or me mentioning your name or, you know, mutually, you have the people like the jewels of the world, a copywriter yeah. that was thriving that, you know, it's just those small wor uh, words of wisdom and advice. So, um, a part of the, me starting the show was to give people their flowers 100%. Um, and so that is, I hope that you can receive them from us today, for sure. I am receiving them and I am grateful. Thank nice. you both. Thank you. Nice, nice, nice. Just to, just to build on that, because I feel like, like this is the first time I've talked with you face to face. But when I say I have seen you everywhere and I've heard your name in so many spaces that you were not even in. So it's such an impactful moment to like, be here to hear that's why I love Adu's question because I was like I wonder if she knows I wonder if she feels her presence in this industry it's so very excited well thank you and and actually just to say a little bit more and this may lead into where you want to take the questioning Adu and Kendra right part of what makes this also interesting for me is that I live in Chicago yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and our industry tends to happen either on the East Coast for sure, mm -hmm. or to some degree on the West Coast for different reasons. And then Atlanta is a hot spot. But I've had this practice being in this place where there are lots of people and lots of people like us. But, yeah. but so part of the reason why it gets interesting is because it means I've had to travel to different places to yeah. to to make this happen because Chicago isn't the center of our industry. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's dive right in because you bring up a good point. I mean, take us back to growing up in Southside Chicago. I think it's interesting even hearing you say that because, you know, I think one now would even say Chicago is an ad place. It is an advertising place. You think of Leo Burnett, publicist group, uh, you know, every every agency has a secondary agency there, whether it's the, and now tech companies, whether it's the Facebook and what have you, but take us back to growing up in Southside Chicago. What was that like? Okay, so I'll give you sort of a two-parter and and I'll just go kind of quickly, but you know, there's a lot here. So I was born in Woodlawn, Mm. Um, which is the community just south of the University of Chicago. So just south of Hyde Park and Kenwood. And at the time I was growing up, Woodlawn was pretty much an all black neighborhood. So the main thoroughfare was 63rd Street, the L ran through there, et cetera. I grew up in what I call the family home. So I lived with my great grandparents, a great aunt and uncle, my grandparents, and uncle, meaning their mm-hmm. son. And then my mother lived there too. And then we had a border. So there are all of us in this traditional two-story limestone um, building in Woodlawn. And one of the things I'll share with you, I, I don't always tell this part of my story, but I'll share it with you and your audience is that it's common in Chicago um, for people to use chain link fences right? So it'll be a fence and then you have the little gate and you go in and out of the gate. Well, for most of my childhood, I was required by my elders, if you will, I was required to remain inside of the fence, Mm. regardless of the fact that there were other kids my age on the block or anything like that. I was required um, to stay inside the fence. So in many ways in my earliest years, maybe up until the time I'm six or seven, I'm living in this kind of small adult world, right? So I've got the people I'm living with, et cetera. And then when I'm seven, um, right before, maybe when I'm six or I can't remember now, my mother gets remarried. Um, she has my next brother and then we moved to South shore and South shore is pretty much the community Southeast of Woodlawn. So we go, you know, we, I don't know, two, three miles away. I don't remember. Um, but South shore at that point is now undergoing a racial shift. Mm. So it was a community that was primarily white. And it's now being populated by Black families. And my family was a part of that. And most of my schooling, my early schooling, was in parochial schools. So I'm Catholic by faith, and I'm raised Catholic, so I'm going to Catholic schools. And when I go into South Shore, I'm now in an environment where it's actually the first time I am in mixed company, if you will. And so that's happening when I'm seven. Hmm. And, and that's, a, that's a very interesting, when I look back on it, it's a very interesting time in my life. Um, I didn't think much of it then, partially because of just what I choose to think about, right? But I didn't think about it. But for most of my time in grammar school, I, not, I never got invited to a birthday party. Mm-hmm. And that's because of my 
my race. I, I just wasn't invited. Yeah. And one of the things, and, and I'll say this is, and this is just a formative thing in my life is, you know, both in high school and grammar school, I, I went to, you know, my classmates belonged to what was known as the South Shore Country Club. Hmm. And the South Shore Country Club for most of my upbringing didn't allow anyone who was black or Jewish to even enter the gates. Oh yeah, you had me at country club. I could country club in the city, right? A (laughs) city-based country Mm -hmm. club. It had a golf course. It had horses. It had everything. But um, and sometime in the 1970s, South Shore Country Club decided that it would rather close than let in people of difference. So I would play with my classmates, go to the soda fountain with them, whatever. But at a period of time, they would all go over to the South Shore Country Club and and I was excluded. So in various ways there, you know, I can bring up a lot of other stories, but in various ways, a a meaningful part of my growing up is me being in this duality of going to school with a broad group of people, but being excluded from parts of whatever they're connected to, right? And in my mind, and I'll say this, sort of for no good reason, if you ask me, right? I I understand the reason, but I don't think it was a good reason, right? Um, And after they sell, they basically sell the South Shore Country Club to the city, it becomes the South Shore Cultural Center. Um, And so the city takes it over and and now Tiger Woods is going to come design a golf course and it's going to be a whole different thing. (laughs) But I still have very ambivalent feelings about that time and place because of exclusion. So anyway, um, so I grew up in, yeah, jump in if you need to. No, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, I think even from that part, like, with exclusion, you do have groups that are getting often, like, excluded, which kind of leads to there not being um, a, a visual representation, I think, anywhere as you're growing up. So as it pertains to, like, the industry, there wasn't any uh, see it, be it for you, you know? Right, um, right. So I guess which unfortunately continues to happen, I think, even at some agencies. But what was your mindset um, within, you know, then obviously we're taking a huge jump from where you started, but diving into communications, advertising, marketing, PR, doing, you know, everything that you're doing um, to kind of say, you know what, I want to be the it since there is no see it, be it for me. Yeah, so really good question. So we've got that formative period and as I'm coming into the world of advertising and beginning to do my work in media, I, I hadn't been paying attention to it, but, but one day I do wake up and realize that there are precious few of us in the media department at the Leo Burnett company, right? Um, many people, but very few on the professional track, right? And one of the earliest moments where I realized that I've got to pay attention is we're interviewing candidates. So I'm probably at this point about six years in and we're interviewing candidates and we interview a young black woman um, and she was terrific. She eventually gets hired, but I'm reading the evaluation sheets and somebody writes down, well, you know, she could be another Renetta. 
Mm. And I go, something in me goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> She's yeah. who she is. Exactly. And she deserves to be who she is. Yeah. And I think I even, my memory says I went and found the person who wrote that, who was a superior to me. And, and I probably tried to say in a nice, kind way, no, 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 we're not looking for any more of me. We're, we're looking for people to be whoever they can be. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. But that was sort of my first wake up call. Like, oh, no. You know, I may be whatever I am. No, no, we're not replicating this. We're going to bring people in and, and recognize them for the gifts and the things that they they can offer. I will say um, probably the moment where it got clearest to me, and I'm going to try to make this short, but this story can this story has a a number of tentacles. But anyway, um, it's about 1988. At that time, Leo Burnett Company is still private. Um, And being a private company, um, getting to own stock was a big deal. But the only way you could own stock in the company or be gifted or granted stock in the company is to um, become an officer. And the, um, the way it worked, the way the process worked is you were supposed to go in with your cohort. So there would be an election and you were supposed to move with your cohort. And if you didn't move with your cohort, that was the sign that maybe your career was gonna stall out and maybe you should go look for another job, mm-hmm. right? So I'm working for a terrific boss. He was just a terrific boss. Um, And one day he comes to tell me that I haven't been elected um, an officer. And it was with a cohort that I thought I could be a part of. And he looks at me and we're having this conversation. I'm distraught. I'm just distraught, right? Um, Because I've been working hard. Now I'm 10 years into my career, the whole thing. And he says two remarkable things to me. He looks me in the eye, and by this time I've been working for him for eight of my first 10 years. So I know this man a long time. And he looks me in the eye and he says, your work is as good as theirs. And of course the only conclusion is then why wasn't I elected? And it it had to be that perhaps the company wasn't willing to make a commitment to somebody like me at that time. Mm-hmm. And then because of what that signal was, um, he said, and, you know, now might be the time that you want to start looking around. Mm. And after a bunch of tears and a bunch of reflection, one day I just come back in and I just go back to work. And that's because mentally I have said to myself that I'm going to stay here as long as I can, no matter what. Because I think if I leave, they might see that as permission not to look for anybody else like me. Mm. Wow. So that's when, and it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's like, you chose. You I chose. chose. Yeah. yeah. My work is as good as theirs. Therefore, I'm going to keep putting points on the board. We're going to see where this goes. And oh, by the way, yep, I'm still here. You still got to be looking for people like me. Yeah. 
That's powerful. <clears throat> but at that time, and here's what I'll say, I'm a very young woman. I'm probably 32, right? Yeah. I'm still, even in the moment when I didn't receive officership, I'm still the highest ranking black person in the media department, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the point in time where I say basically to myself, I'm going to stay here because there are going to be others who follow me. I don't know who they are and I don't know where they are, but I'm going to stay here so that they know they can do this. That is powerful. That's include, you created your own inclusion and then you created the representation for others that you wouldn't even know to come. Do you remember right. the, the courage it took though to make that decision? Like, yeah. Or did it feel like a no, like, was it a no brainer? Was it just like you had to reach down and pull it out and be like, I'm choosing to do this? Um, I will be honest with the two of you because we're talking about black joy here. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to tell you. It was courage but it's yeah. also stubbornness because, you know, <laughs> that's one of my better qualities. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Right? Yeah. And so I pulled all the stuff I had yeah. and I'm like, yeah, right? Oh, no. And what happened, it's, it's really crazy. I'll try. Here's crazy part two, right? So I won't go into all the details, but essentially what happens is one day the head of the, almost a year later, the head of the department calls me up on a Friday and says to me, I'm going to go away. I'll be back in about 10 days. When I come back, I want you to have a presentation ready document on the state of network television. So he's going to give me 10 days to get a client ready presentation to talk about, you know, all the stuff in network TV. Yeah. And oh, by the way, he wants me to write a point of view on whether the Fox TV network is going to make it. Oh, this is big stuff. And here's the killer. I wasn't even a top network buyer. I was a print buyer. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Print was my expertise. I, I knew how to buy network. I understood television. I understood. I, I understood right. the dynamics. Well, do you think that they were trying to set you up or was it a push project or was it like? So what happens? Uh, I'll tell you this. And I do have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. um, I go back to my boss, still the one I've been working for. He says, bring me an outline. I show him my outline. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the next 10 days, probably one third of the department was working for me to help mm -hmm. me get this presentation done. The big, the, the head of the department comes back on a Monday, two o'clock, I'm presenting to him and the board. They love it. And that's the assignment, but that was the challenge. That was the hurdle mm -hmm. I had to cross in order to become an officer. Hmm. So it took a year for it to come back around. So I'm still doing my thing for a year. And they go, well, I guess it's time to call her question. We're going to give her this assignment. We could say test, but we're going to give her this yeah. assignment right. and see what she does with it. And the good news is I did say that the Fox TV network would make it. 
<laughs> and you were right. You were right. <laughs> we may not be fans of Fox News, but no, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, this was just the, the fourth network. This was just the team, yeah, 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 the people yeah. who, you know, you know, showed in living color, you know, yeah, that part of it. Right. right. Absolutely, absolutely. Kendra, take us away. Um, going from that, I think so the experience you had within your companies and seeing how the like the structures played out, I think informed a lot as you entered into the diversity and inclusion space. But I want to talk a little bit about kind of the innovation in organizations, right? So you've seen where organizations were with the exclusionary work, and then now we're in a world where things are remote and everything is blown up. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. What, what is a little bit about what impact do you see like the new generation having on organization, human-centered organization design as we go forward? Wow. There's a lot of stuff in that question, no, Kendra. It's a, it's a big question. You pick which one you want to go. Well, and, and you keep me honest and I'll come back to the other ones, right? Okay. So let me start with innovation. I'm going to give you just a small story. So once again, I'm back because you skip from probably my 10th year up to my 35th year, but I, I'm going to put some stuff in there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what happens while I'm working and I'm a media director and I'm still in media, still not a media agency yet, um, what tended to happen is um, the people who had the highest potential in department ended up working on the biggest clients. I never really worked on big clients. I worked on all the mid-tier clients. I worked sort of on the clients that people didn't know what to do with. I worked on the clients that had just like mid-tier budgets or whatever. And it was hard work because some of the times, because you were working on mid-tier, I'd be working on two, three, four clients at a time. Right. And then one day I wake up and I go, oh my goodness. By working on these different clients, who actually had the same problems as the big clients, right? Mm -hmm. Working on these clients, I now have an eye into innovation. How you take a practice that's happening in this space, let's say on a telecom client and move it over to your liquor client, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Or take something from your electronics client and, and put it on maybe your resort client. And one day I sort of figure out is that I've been through all these experiences, figuring out how to work in the world of innovation. Now, I think there are two types of innovation. One type of innovation is let's call it incremental in innovation where you're taking something that's already there and you're amplifying it and extending it. But there's other kinds of in innovation where you're just creating something that hadn't been there before. Right. right? And so all of a sudden I realize I'm in that space. So now to jump forward to your question, Kendra, I think one of the things we're seeing from the younger people who are coming into our industry is that they are bringing different bits of culture, meaning the music, importantly, the storytelling, sometimes the language, sometimes the reactions. They're bringing that, as my daughter calls it, they're bringing that energy into the workspace. And certainly for our industry, the creative industry, they're bringing that in. And that I think is sparking bits of innovation in how 
stories get told, um, in what we're looking at, in which parts of culture we're absorbing, et cetera. So I think um, the younger entrants into our industry are playing a vital role in it, yeah. right? And I think that's why they're so important. And, you know, when in our prep, we were talking about, so across my career, I've seen targeting go from households to broad demographics, to fine-tuned demographics. We're, we're now into sort of mass personalization. But I think one of the other things, and I'm sorry, my dogs are doing their no, thing. No, it's fine. <laughs> one of the things that we're seeing now is the rise of identity and mm -hmm. what it means for people and how they connect to brands, how they relate to brands. And that's what the young people are also ushering in yeah. is for lack of a better term, this age of identity mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. and that. what we need to pay attention to. And I think it's getting, um, I think it's getting stitched into the work that we do. Yeah. And yeah. I know this is a place you want to go. I think it's getting introduced into the workplaces where we exist. Yes. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, with that being said, I think we're thinking so much about our future. Um, I think our future of work, um, our, the future of uh, Gen Z. How do you spend time thinking about our future? And I know that that's such a loaded question and there's so many different ways. I mean, whether it's from sustainability, whether it's from music, whether it's from, you know, people interaction. I think that there's always, everybody has a different take on that, but how do you spend time thinking about our future? Well, actually that question's easy for me because <laughs> when you mentioned my two children, I really should revise my bio. I have two young adults yeah, and one of them is 32 and yeah. the other is 30. Yeah. And they are both operating in the here and now in workplaces with real issues. Yeah. Um, they're I, in I follow your son on LinkedIn. So okay, I <laughs> you follow my son. You probably want to put your eye on my daughter. She's got okay. her own YouTube channel. She's out interviewing people. She's in the culture in, in just remarkable ways. Both of them are. And so I have a real world laboratory for what they're going through, how they're seeing the world, what they are wanting. And I don't want to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I want to keep their lives private and all this, right? But I get to see them as um, sort of as examples of what that generation wants in the workplace and how they, what they're looking for in that relationship, what kind of meaning they're looking for in work, what kind of outcomes they're right. seeking. And one of the things I would tell you, and maybe it's just because of the industries they've gone into, or maybe it's because of my husband and I as their parents, but certainly my, my young adults and others I know are looking for a way to bring their innovation, their voice, their creativity mm. into the work they do. And they're looking to do that in a way I never even thought was possible mm. in my career. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. so I do. And I, and, you know, on most days, give, take what I think that that's a really good thing. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. 
Um, and I think just to kind of, I think, wrap up and close out with a question that talks to your experience within the DEI as we talk about equity, inclusion, the future. Um, we heard, I heard you recently speak of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Yes. I would love for us to dive into what, where, where does justice fit in that trio and how are we seeing it play out today? Okay. Um, so little bit, I, I just got to give you a little bit of context. I know you all know this, but I want to put my comments in context, right? Yeah. So a lot of times we say DEI, DEIJ, and we say it all as if it's one word and one thing, and it's not. Um, just for the record, they're four different things, right? right? So diversity is just about the representation and the collection of characteristics and identities that people have. Um, inclusion is, do people feel that they belong and are they accepted, right? And do they get to use their voice? So I think there are things around inclusion. Equity is an individual or group's access, I call them the goodies, but the resources inside of work. Are you getting the feedback? Are you getting paid? Are you getting promotion opportunities, assignment opportunities, all those kind of things. Here's where justice comes in and I'll talk about justice in two ways. Um, internally, justice in in my mind and some of the academics say this as well is justice says when things aren't right internally that the organization or the manager will go make it right so if promotion equity isn't there justice is what makes it right mm -hmm. right if assignment equity isn't there it is somebody looking at it and saying that's not right um, there's a part of justice, which is relational, who you get connected to. So in some ways, buddy programs, mentoring programs, and definitely sponsorship programs could be associated with this justice where they're making connections between people who might not normally be connected for the purposes of advancement or access for certain groups of people, whichever <clears throat> groups of people they are and those identities. Then I think what's been remarkable about the last two to three years because of all the events, racial reckoning, as I call it, the panini, and then all the <laughs> other things we see, right? Right. We now realize that there is a standard of justice or an opportunity for justice in our real lives, mm -hmm. right? In, in what happens when I'm on the bus or I'm, I'm on the train or any of the places where we live in society. And one of the things for me that has really emphasized this work in DEI and J is the fact that, you know, when I was coming up, if I take you back to 1978 or whatever, there was sort of like this thick wall between what went on in the org and what happened when you went outside, mm -hmm. right? So when you're in here, it's all about here. And when you're out there, well, it was all about there. And, and now I think we're coming to the recognition that humans sort of don't work that way, mm -hmm. that what's happening in our lives will, um, mm -hmm. and maybe should, but I don't know, but will impact what's going on in our organizations and that there is a transfer or connection between those. And so I think the eye towards justice, how do you 
how do organizations now participate as allies or advocates or conveners of their own and how do organizations get to show up to sort of make things right or even if you can't make them right make things better I think that's the environment that we're now existing in mm. and I just think it's fascinating, remarkable, and I'm glad to see it. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I am so, I, I'm excited to go back to my clients and brands and organizations and be like DEI and J because. That's right. Yeah, that we're is, not hearing that it. Threat. Yeah, That's right. definitely. And we're not That's hearing right. it. We're not hearing it enough. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's something that you're right. I and even to your point earlier of, of it's not one word, because even as we look at it in titles, I don't ever break it up. I have to be honest. I, I look, you know, DEI, I see that as all inclusive, you know, and yeah. then that's how a lot of people have titles. But yeah, that's a lot to chew on. Yeah. Now, before you go on to do, I do want to give um, credit where credit's due. Please. So okay. this term DEIJ, I use it because you may have seen it in my bio. I'm, I'm an adjunct lecturer in my master's program, and I teach a course on diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice in organizations. So it's not necessarily a term that I made up myself, but it's right. one that I use, and it's one that I'm trying to promote through, yeah. you know, teaching, learning, and scholarship. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And I think even in, you know, speaking of that, like I said, I think the the amount of education, I mean, you going back to school after 50 years, and I think that there's so many things that it's just an educational opportunity for us, but we cannot thank you enough for being on the show, for educating us, for sharing your journey with us. Um, this is only the beginning. Um, and so we really do appreciate you being on. Oh, absolutely. And this has been terrific. And you know how to find me if you need me. Yes, how can and... people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Oh, oh dear. I meant just the two yeah. of you. No, no. Right. But you know what's really, you know, well, LinkedIn, I mean, people do, people yeah. do a great job of finding me on LinkedIn. So I will, I will offer my LinkedIn. A dude's about yeah. to have your DMs open. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I am not giving you my IG handle. No. no. <laughs> So we'll leave it at LinkedIn. Okay, we'll leave right. it at LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Or actually, I'll say you can write me at Adu. Right? Oh, no, 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 Matter of fact. No, wait, I can't. I can't do it either. I mean, that's what the podcast is for, for the listeners to listen. They have a place to go, but yes. Okay. All yes. right. Uh, thank you so much. And we know, I mean, even at that, your heart has always been so gracious. Like I said, just the amount of people that you. you've um, influenced. Um, and so this has been a pleasure. And it's really been a pleasure just this season in general. Thank you all so much for tuning into season four of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. You better believe we'll be back for our fifth season, our fifth anniversary um, which I'm really, really excited about. And as always, remember, stay safe and you deserve a dose of Black joy and caffeine. 
Until next time, I'm Adu. Thank you all.